0: Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, Kia everyone, and welcome along to this episode of Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Moe, and we're going to be speaking today with Fiona Dehan. Now, Fiona came over from Ireland to Christchurch, and so we find out about her life growing up in a completely different culture, but also what led her to move here. And then we both have a shared interest in a number of topics, such as the work of Brene Brown and thinking about leadership. So we talk about those things as well. I know you're going to enjoy this episode, and if you do, keep in mind there's more than 200 others in the back catalog, because we're trying to build up a database of stories of people who are doing some pretty cool things in the world. And if you're listening in a podcasting app, why not hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes as well. And there's a lot more information at theseeds.nz. Now let's get straight into this interview with Fiona. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Fiona Dehan, who's a coach and facilitator at Cara Consulting. Thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks,
1: Stephen. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, no, it's wonderful. And I know that you've listened to many Seeds podcasts before, right? We were talking before we started recordings. So...
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've been a fan for a while, and I've, uh, th- I've listened to some great stories over the last maybe year or so since I've discovered it. And yeah, I've just really enjoyed it. I, I really like the approach that you use. It, it's lovely.
0: Well, what we'll do is the first half of the show, we usually talk with people about where they're from. Mm-hmm. And then the second half, we talk a little bit about what they're doing today. Yeah. So in your case, um, we can hear an accent. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd love for you to take us back to your childhood and yeah. describe a little bit about the, where you were from.
1: Yeah, so I was born in Cork, in the south of Ireland, and yeah, I grew up there, I was on my own for a very short time of two years, and then another sibling followed, and then a couple of more, and um, I'm actually the eldest of six kids, um, and grew up on a farm in East Cork, down in the south of Ireland, and there's a gap of um, 15 years between me and my youngest sibling, so... um, she, um, she ended up probably having about four mothers <laughs> because we were all quite a bit older. But the, the kind of four oldest girls, we were all quite close in age. So it was only two years between me and my next sister and then two years again between her and twin sisters. So the four, it was almost like two separate little families in a way as we were growing up because um, my youngest sister, you know, was still just barely starting school when I was leaving home. So that was quite... Uh, quite a gap I guess there but yeah um
0: and just describe the area for us like I I don't think I've visited there what what kind you mentioned a farm like what sort of environment is it
1: yeah so um so East Cork um so Cork is a coastal county, so, um, which is right down in the south of Ireland. And Cork um, is actually the biggest county in Ireland. So I guess it's, it's kind of like a prime. Um, yeah, so you have Cork is one of six counties in Munster and Munster is the province. So a um, so rural area, farming area. Um, Probably nearest neighbor when I was growing up was about, you know, a 10 minute walk or 10 minute cycle over the road. A uh, lot more houses appearing there now. Um, and where my home that was built, my parents built their house across the road from my grandparents' home place. So my, my father's home place. So um, where he had grown up. So even when I was a little kid and um, really little before I think my mum even had my, my next sibling, my mum used to work in the supermarket and my granddad used to look after me when my dad would be out farming. But um, we grew up on a small dairy farm, not like the big dairy farms here in New Zealand, like um, a small farm, um, one man band. I remember, you know, being roped into um, chasing cows and calves around fields when we were kids um, disappearing on our bikes for a day on end and there was no phones and you go off up the forest or off up fields for for hours and um, p- making up probably quite dangerous games, swinging off trees and climbing hay bales. But yeah, like so a, a farming area, we had cows, we used to help dad milk the cows. And um, I remember a story, my mum tells a lot of, when I was about two, um, maybe nearly three, and in my pink shorts and my pink wellies, gummies for New Zealanders, I disappeared, and I was actually, I disappeared off up the field to bring the cows down for milking, <laughs> and I arrived back down, like, head to toe and muck, um, but I was okay, and that was the main thing, but yeah, so lots of um, fun stories, I guess, and memories of that um, growing up there, but yeah, rural area, local local village, probably about five miles away. Um so no such thing as kind of uh, going off to the shop on your own or anything like that.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned your grandparents being there across the road. Does that mean mm. it, it was sort of an area that your family had lived in for a long time?
1: Um, yeah. So my granddad was um, across the road. My grandmother actually on my dad's side had passed away um, a long, long time before that. My mum never even met her. Um so, um, yeah so my granddad was there, and actually interestingly enough you 're asking me about the, the history that 's something i 've only been exploring in the last couple of years is exploring what is be, you know beyond of that because being here in New Zealand and learning about the concept of faka Papa mm. has inspired me actually to look a lot more deeper into where my family were you know a um, hundred years ago or you know when Ireland got to independence or when the famine was was um, you know happened in the 1840s or you know all yeah so I actually don't know how long my family had been in that area. Mm-hmm. My mum's parents are from a town about um, called Yall which is about um, seven or eight miles or a bit further away but so we're close though as well but I know that there was five generations of them in that area. So, um, was able to trace a bit further back there. So actually doing that family tree stuff now, but I have a lot more memories of my, my mom's parents because, um, they, they were alive for a lot longer and have both only passed away in the last 10 years or so. So, you know, they, you know, I have a lot longer memories of them in, in my life as well. Um, like my, so they, they were both kind of devout in, to the church. Um, we would get up, you know, my granddad would, they would get up every morning, you know, and, and do their prayers and go to, go, go and, um, you know, go to church regularly. Um, you know, my granddad would be up at five, six every morning as well and take the dogs for the walk, loved nature. Um, and actually they had a shop. So they had a a small shop, um, in, in town in Yall, where my mum grew up and when I think back so I, I I worked in that shop as I kind of became closer to being um a teenager you know help out on a Saturday and that but one thing that really stuck in my mind and and it's only as I've reflected on it in the last couple of years was my granddad used to pack up um some of this, the groceries for the from the shop into a van every kind of Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and he would go out around rural areas, and visit people in the community so that they could pick up some groceries for them. And I didn't really realize the significance of that—that that it was really community outreach and mm. um, a real care for the well-being of people. Because a lot of those people were older customers that maybe weren't able to come into town anymore, and he was one of their. Me in context, and that really stuck with me because something around community well-being and and supporting people is something that's really important to me.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's often interesting, isn't it, as you get older to trace back and think about your origins and and what were the influences, and, and mm. probably not even using words, mm. those sorts of things do get transferred, and and that's why I love to ask those questions about the previous generation, you know, yeah. grandparents, because I think they have a significant place within our lives, um, if we're fortunate enough to have them, that actually we do learn a lot between the generations. And part of the problem with our society today is we're so fragmented that children Mm. aren't growing up near their grandparents or having that influence. So, yeah, yeah, it's- uh, It's
1: it's really true. And what you said there as well, uh, what you were saying there as well, it also resonates with me that for, I would always have just thought of my grandparents as my grandparents. Or my parents, as my parents, you know that 's their role that 's who they are. You often don 't dig into um, you know not every family you know gets the opportunity to really get to know their parents as people, not mm. just as their parents or their grandparents as people, not just as their grandparents mm. and, and, and and that was definitely the case for me you know i mean I, I never really questioned the interests the other interests they were you know it just didn't didn't occur to me and and I guess that's something I'm again con- connecting with now and glad that I'm getting the opportunity to do that now and see the connections and I think that connects into that um what I mentioned earlier about exploring that whakapapa papa or mm. um legacy or you know that I'm not just who just the person, I'm not just a person that created myself standing here in front of you, that I am made up of all of these incredible people who have come before me. And actually, I want to know more about those people and, and the gems that I'm lucky enough to have inherited from them. And oh yeah, and maybe sometimes the not so gemmy stuff, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that's all part <laughs> of it. You know, you're, you're the good, the bad, the, you're human, mm. you know. So what are, where did all those parts
0: I agree. And I think a practical step that we each can take is actually to interview or to record the generation before us, you know, like Mm. your parents, for example, or my parents, for for our children's sake, Um, you know, like, think of the legacy that that is, if you sit down with someone who's still alive today, and just talk with them about their lives a little bit like what we're doing right now, you know, that that it becomes a record of a person's life that you can then pass on to,
1: Mm. you know,
0: your kids and, and, and so on. So, yeah, that's good.
1: Right. And you've prompted me to think there as well, you know, for me particularly, I have a four-year-old daughter, Mm -hmm. um, who's born here in New Zealand and, um, my husband is Irish as well. We're from very close to each other back in Ireland, but all of our families are back in Ireland and, you know, that can be conflicting at times, but I am, I am conscious of what you just said and you know what, I want to make more of a conscious effort. And that's why exploring who people are and and where we've come from and all of that is so important to share that so that she she knows that and knows who has come before her and what her pocket papa is as she's growing up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had it really reinforced to me with one of the first podcasts that I did, the seeds. Um, I think it was episode about 15 and Mm -hmm. I interviewed someone named John Hammond who then, he, we knew that he had terminal brain cancer. He right. died three months after the interview. Mm. And I had his son write to me um, after the funeral and everything and say, thank you for recording my father's voice because we did what we're doing here. Yeah. You know, you captured his life just before he died and now we have that as a legacy for the grandchildren that yeah. he would will not be able to meet. You know, it's it's like, this is important work. So yeah, no, that's good. So you, as a child, then it sounds like there's a lot of outdoors activity. It's a beautiful area. There's cows, there's, you know, farm. Um, Did you have a particular area that you enjoyed in terms of studying or what, what really kept you interested? Um, Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, um, So I guess I, I, what did I enjoy? So I definitely played, my, my dad, I remember even as even as a kid, um, so my dad played hurling, which is like one of the, which is um, one of the Irish national sports. It's the one with the sticks. Um, most people are like, all oh, right, the one that looks really dangerous. I'm like, yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when he was playing, they didn't have to wear helmets. And I do remember like multiple broken bones and broken fingers. And um, But we were raised on the side of a pitch, you know, and, um, you know, from young age, you know, everyone would be, thrown into the car and they would be, you know, the all-in-one suits, you know, for the little ones and the boots. And I think my twin sisters used to actually have a set of reins my mother would have to kind of <laughs> keep them in check when they were really little. But so sport was a big part of my life from early on, you know, um, being, and being in a rural area as well. And, and Ireland, particularly rural Ireland, the whole Gaelic Games side of things is very much about um, you have the area divided up geographically, but it was also because it was Irish Catholic Ireland, it's divided up um, parochially as well. So you have your parishes. Right. And generally, most parishes are a combination of three or four local parishes, would have a combined Gaelic footballer and, and um, hurling team. So your clubs were normally based around your parishes. So it became such a pride thing to play for your parish and to play for your parish to wear the jersey it's it was it's and and Gaelic games being like the the irish national sports became you know they even when i was growing up you know people were playing soccer but you know there's a foreign sport you know (laughs) (laughs) and even and even at that point um rugby was as well you know you would say ireland are up there at rugby now but back then you know, rugby was for was traditionally a Protestant private school sport that was played in, mostly in Dublin. Um, you wouldn't have seen a lot of people playing in rural Ireland. But um, yeah, for me personally, like sport was always a big part of my life. Um, mm-hmm. School, I, I, wouldn't say there was anything in particular that I loved to study as a topic. I tended though to be one of those. I, I think it was an oldest kid thing, and that I. Um, from earlier earlier on, kind of was a little bit of a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, just whatever I turned my hand to, I, mean, I you know, I wanted to be really good at it to kind of get the, oh, good girl, Fiona, a little bit. And mm-hmm. I, I think some of that stemmed from being the eldest kid and kind of, you know, I, I had been on my own for two years, not even. And then next thing, there was more kids coming. Oh, I wasn't really, you know... Um, you know, you're, you're a bit more expected to be a bit more independent and that. So my way maybe of getting that bit of attention was by, well, if I do really well at this and this and this, I get noticed. Now I wasn't probably thinking that at the time, but I just thought, oh, if I'm a good girl, you know, but as, as I got older, um, I, I definitely, I definitely did enjoy the kind of, um, uh, sciencey side of things actually and but and more uh, you know I did a lot of physics and biology those kind of things Um, but I found it in a way to kind of connect it into sport right so uh, you know I'll, you know kind of understanding things like biomechanics and um, um, you know biology about the body and all you know how to yeah so that's kind of a bit of what I was interested in but I wouldn't necessarily say I, I think actually it was things that I was I was, there was other things I was kind of doing outside of school that I think I was enjoying more, but I didn't, I didn't find them in the subjects I was finding in school. And mm-hmm. um, like, I, I remember I learned how to play the piano. I was playing the guitar. I loved to sing. Um, I loved to play sport. I was, I, won- I wondered at the time, was it because, you know, just being a teenager, but I actually loved to write poetry as well. And, mm-hmm. um, and then a lot of that kind of disappeared as I, as I got older, I, I don't know, I just kind of didn't see myself as a creative person. So I was like, oh, no, I'm not creative. No, no. I just, mm. it was the, the more tangible sciencey stuff became easier to say, oh, yeah, that's, that's the good girl thing. If I do that, that will be, yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: We tend to get pigeonholed, don't we, as well? You know, like, oh, that that person's really good at sport or oh that person's really good at mathematics or whatever, yeah. so that can mm. happen. And mm. just growing up in that environment, I'm just curious in terms of Ireland itself, because it has its own unique character. Yeah. Um, how how would you describe it in terms of the culture and what would you, yeah, how would you think about Ireland now, having been away for a while? Mm. Both, both potentially in the positive and the negative, you know, yeah. you can take this question wherever you want to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but-
1: it's funny when you live in ireland you don't think about what it means to be irish
0: mm-hmm.
1: you just you just are right i mean it it just didn't it you know it wasn't something i ever put much thought into and you know it, it just is and but it's not it, i had i think in the last couple of years i've actually in, in the time i've been away but particularly in the last maybe 5 years since i've since we're a lot more settled and since we've had cara and we you know we're definitely Kind of this is more we are in we feel we're in our home now, um, Is kind of thinking about what does it mean to be irish um mm. um uh, to be an Irish immigrant in new Zealand and um it's interesting, you know for a long time, I would say I lived up to that Irish stereotype um that kind of yeah, so I mean, you, you know like do to re- like that yeah that kind of. Yeah, there's that stereotype of, you know, going out and having a good time and, you know, having a few drinks and um yeah, and not always the the positive kind of um stereotype. But I started to realise that that maybe that isn't kind of what being Irish, you know, really means. So I'm kind of still exploring that I have to say. And I think that's part mm-hmm. of that um experience of, of fuck Papa. Again, is that kind of exploring well, what, what does it mean and it doesn't Um, And I think a lot of being Irish actually is a a lot of people think it just, you need to be a particular way or you need to meet, you know, it's meeting the stereotype. So I do enjoy Irish music and, you know, there's something in me that kind of goes, you know, um, that kind of lifts when I hear Irish music or see Irish dancing, but it wouldn't be the only thing that kind of makes me feel Irish for want Mm. of a, a better word. But Um,
0: Well, let's explore this as we go through the interview, because I'm quite curious as well. uh, You know, you're living in New Zealand, Mm. you're not in Ireland. So Mm. what was the thinking there in terms of how this isn't a question yet, we'll get to it in a minute. But, you know, anyone who's immigrated from one country to another Um, I think sometimes it does focus in on what is my identity? Mm. Where am I from? I know for me, um, I think, as you know, I lived in Japan when I was 21. Mm. And that year really taught me a lot about me and my origins and who Mm. I was, that I never would have realized living in Christchurch, you know, Mm. so is that out of my context forces you to think about these things. So, yeah. so, what happened next? You get to the end of high school. Like, did you know what you wanted to do or study or work or, yeah?
1: Yeah, I, so I, I, I kind of stayed on that science sport track and I applied for and got into um, sports science actually. Mm-hmm. And I did a year of that and just for a couple of different reasons didn't end up finishing that. So, just went straight into the workforce and kind of spent the following a um, couple of years, just just working really. But I spent I spent five years working for an American kind of um, multinational, um, they were in the manufacturing of semiconductors. So I, used to, I worked like in a in a clean room environment. Um, I worked shift work, um, it, it was I really I enjoyed it. Um, you know, it, it paid for me to have you know a, a good social life. I was in my early twenties. I was working shift work. There was a lot of other people in the same situation as me, so it was. Um, I wasn't, but I was living in Limerick, which was about two hours away from my home. So it was kind of my my college experience, but I was getting well paid at the same time, if you know what I mean. Right,
0: right. And <laughs>
1: and I learned a lot through that. And and when I, you know, I, I learned a lot there. I, I did really well, you know. I'm I I had a great social life, but I also was that same kind of people pleaser and hard worker that just excelled. So I kind of, so I stayed there for five years and then kind of made a decision to move back to Cork actually, because I, I missed playing um, Gaelic football for my local club, for my parish, for with the, some of the girls I'd went to school with, with my sisters. And um, so I went back partly actually to, to um, re-pick up playing uh, Gaelic football and with them and uh, actually went back into working in hospitality. Mm. So I'd worked in hospitality throughout my, um, throughout my uh, school years. Um, A very uh, common rite of passage for an Irish teenager, you know, is to work either waiting or waiting tables or um, pulling pints in in a local pub or something like that. So it's quite a common kind of part-time job, very different to the um, yeah, you know, I well, not so much very different, but um very different in, in environment, I guess, to um to some of the, the the kind of nightlife here I found, especially the kind of rural pubs. I mean, a lot to themselves sometimes trying to get people to go home. <laughs> but I loved it. And you know what? You probably would too, because it's the stories. The stories some of those guys up at the bar would tell you. Right. I mean, you would just, you'd be sometimes just creased over laughing and sometimes, you know, nearly in tears. But And sometimes you would end up nearly being a counsellor for someone. But mm. uh, that's one thing that I loved about hospitality was the people that you would meet and mm. the, the range of stories and the richness or that someone could break into a song on a Monday afternoon. And it was mm-hmm. absolutely acceptable. And I loved that.
0: Yeah. yeah. What do you think makes a good storyteller? Like if you think of some of those people that used to come in and tell stories, what, what was it that made them so compelling? Uh,
1: I think, because um, it's not always about the content of the story, actually. Mm. Um, it is, I think it's about the pace mm. and the pauses and the, the pace and the pauses and the language sometimes. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's almost like, you know, I could tell you the same joke as the person next to me, but it's all about how you tell it. Yeah. It's all about how you tell it and the tone and, and that pace, I think, as well, just and and yeah, I think that makes all the difference, and that language as well, the words and the 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 insight and the their own flavor that they add to it, and yeah, there's definitely something very special uh, about about some of the the stories and the people who've told them over the years, you know, the mm. glint in the eye and the bit of mischief that you'd hear, or yeah. I asked the question
0: because I think it's an art that we're starting to lose Mm. because of phones and social Mm. media. And it's kind of the instant, um, you know, video and lots of lights and colors and things, but the old style of just the, you know, just the talking slowly and telling the story and, you know, Mm. just pauses. And there's a great guy um, in America who does something called Prairie Home Companion. And that uh, his name was Garrison Keillor. I think he's right. retired now, but he just had this way he could tell a story and you'd be hanging on it, you know, on a radio format mm. and you'd just be listening, like, what's going to happen? And if you read the stories, they're actually not that interesting. Yeah. But it's the way that he told it and how expressive his voice was. And yeah, yeah it's something I'm, I'm kind of worried about that we're losing a little bit of that um, yeah. ability to, to tell stories.
1: Yeah, like, and even 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 in a radio format, even when you just have sound, the people who can who can create the facial expression that they're making through the sound of their voice,
0: mm. you,
1: you know, so that's there's magic in that. There's there's some real magic in that, you know, just to to be able to bring words to life. Yeah. Um, I think is 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 the art, isn't it? And and that is through that tone, through that expression, through that pace, through the pauses, the pauses are actually as important, mm. aren't they? You know where you leave that gap for the people to pause and and almost hear themselves think and visualize what you've just said in that sentence mm. before you move on. So, yeah, it's not. Yeah, oh, it's it's an art form for, I tell you. for
0: sure. We were yeah. talking before we started recording about um, John O'Donohue, who yeah, there's an interview that we both love and um just the way that he expresses himself is such such so rich right it's uh, amazing. you know let's put a link to that in the show notes actually
1: yes and find it
0: we both um, we both like it
1: (laughs) it's amazing um and that just i love how he just his talk about that word beauty and um that there is beauty in everything that we do and that we're all artists and that our lives are this um you know, every every breath we take is almost a brush stroke. Mm -hmm. You know, what a, what a, what a beautiful way to look at,
0: you Mm -hmm. know,
1: our lives. And yeah, there's, there was something really special about that. As I said to you before, that was a gift to me. So thank you.
0: Yeah, no, I'm glad I could share it. So we are in New Zealand. So can Mm. you just describe New Zealand's about as far away as you can get from, from your home? And it sounds like home was quite special. You know, you've got what five siblings and you've got Mm. your parents and you've got your community you've got your your team and everything like how did you end up deciding to leave and go traveling and, and what was the process of getting here
1: yeah so um so i met my he was then my boyfriend um james in 2006 um i think it was 2006 wasn't it yeah it was and um a couple of years later, so, you know, we'd been together for a couple of years and we kind of thought, oh, you know, would be good to go traveling together at some point. And, and then the kind of global financial crisis hit and Ireland in particular, because uh, because of where it was. And also there had been this big construction boom, was hit particularly strongly by it. Um, James was um, is a bricklayer um, as well. So from a work perspective, um, it started to disappear. And... You know, even as someone who actually hadn't finished college at the time, you know, I was suddenly competing, um, you know, for roles. I, I actually been, had, I was made redundant. I had moved on to a, a more of an admin role in actually a financial uh, institution at the time and was made redundant. So kind of thought, OK, well, that decides that. Let's go travel and see what 's around and, and you know what everyone, everyone in Ireland who, from Ireland who does their work in holiday, or as you call it here, the OE most people end up in Australia um, in Sydney, on Bondi Beach in their county jerseys, and probably chatting to someone that they knew growing up at home and there 's nothing wrong with that, but we, we made a conscious decision to say if we were going to go overseas, we wanted to go somewhere and actually experience what the country was like. So we arrived here in New Zealand in February two thousand and ten. And, yeah, I mean, we, we certainly did make some Irish friends then, but also so English and Scottish. But um, James started playing football here quite quickly, soccer. And um, we met a, quite a big amount of Kiwi friends through that because we got involved in that kind of local community through sport again, which was great. But we were here for then, of course, the earthquakes. And at the time of the February earthquake, we actually had an application in for a, a new work visa um so our passports were stuck in the immigration office in cathedral square and everyone we, we could have gotten some kind of emergency support but we made the decision to stick around and see what happened and yeah because we'd made some friends here
0: so how do you ended up in christchurch rather than auckland or wellington or somewhere else
1: um just kind of Oh, just by the, the by luck, or just by the the flights that we found, or we didn't really know. So maybe I don't think it was through research or intentional. It was just oh, there's flights going to oh Christchurch. That place looks okay. All right, we'll just go there. We didn't even actually think about the fact that um it's not where most people start. Or mm-hmm. what we did is we left Ireland at this maybe the maybe earlier in February, and then we went to Thailand for. Maybe four weeks, and then whatever flights that we booked came through um Sydney and into Christchurch rather than anywhere else. So that's just where we landed.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah.
1: So it was just. Um, it's always and,
0: interesting, isn't it, to look back yeah. in life and think? Because obviously you're still here now, and that that choice that was probably made with the click of a button, looking at the price <laughs> of a flight, you know, because you could have been Dunedin, Wellington, Auckland, any yeah. you know, and yet here we are today
1: (laughs) and it could have been such a different outcome it could have been Mm. such a different outcome but but it wasn't but it's interesting yeah i we did you know that was why we left but it's interesting i guess you know we yes we you know we've wonderful families back in ireland and great communities and and just really good people but for me anyway and i um, for me anyway there was, there was an identity that I had, I guess, that, or a rut that I was in that was very much, and I didn't even realize it because I was so deep in it, that was very much created by, um, or that I fitted into, I was living up to an identity I thought i was supposed, so the big sister who looks after everyone, the, um, you know, there was all of those roles that I had kind of assumed over the years, and and i and actually leaving ireland and coming here and um, suddenly kind of opened my eyes to that actually i can fix people's problems as about well, as much as i can here as i could there anyway mm. um, and i guess that i had there had been a lot of obligations and things weighing on me that i i really didn't realize and it i think that first year even here released a lot of that in me because even we went back, to, went back for a visit about a year and a half later once we got our work visas through. And a lot of people made comments directly to James saying, wow, Fiona's just, Fiona's changed already. You know, she's, she's just more relaxed. And, you know, and I didn't, I didn't really, you know, I knew I had changed, but I, at that point, I still didn't realize how profound an effect that um, I guess it had been on me.
0: So, is that because you were able, you know, nobody here knew you, therefore you weren't living up to any expectation that you were the oldest of the the children and, you know, this had been where you were from? Was it because of that, you think?
1: Yeah, oh, completely. Yeah, completely. And when I reflect now, so I often have, you know, I have conversations with people now and they talk about, you know, would you go back to Ireland? And I said, well, I'd never say never, right? Uh, You know, of course not. I'd never say never. But how I explain it is, is that when I left Ireland 10 years ago, I left a a Fiona-shaped hole, for example. And um, to say, and then, but it's not, if I was to go back now, I wouldn't fit in that hole. Not that I'm bigger than it or better than it. I'm just a different shape. Mm. And I feel like I've taken a more, I've taken this shape I've taken a shape that I've more chosen intentionally and formed than not that anyone moulded me into, but that I I knew no better than what society or what expectations or all of that supported me to to become then. Does does that make sense?
0: It does. And I've had experiences as well, living in multiple countries. So I've actually experienced exactly what you're talking about, which is it's almost a chance to reinvent yourself because nobody knows who you are. You can actually choose to be a bit more outgoing than you've ever been in your life. And, Mm. and well, that's just the way that person is, you know? So it's actually an amazingly liberating thing to, to, If you, if you have the presence to think it through yes. as you're in that transition, to think about what are the aspects that I really want to grow in and, mm. and do more of and, um, and even drop some of the, the old ways, the old, the, the bad habits, right?
1: Yeah, and I think initially though, Stephen, it wasn't intentional. Initially, it was, there was a shedding of layers that actually were never really me anyway mm. um, that I had just adopted and um, because of the expectation stuff that I'd maybe put on myself or created or the the people pleaser stuff so yeah. i i you know so some of that was just shed because the freedom was there that i didn't need them anymore um, and but later came the more intentional growth and that's probably happened more since i've had caris so in the last 4 years i couldn't even begin to tell you the layers um, of growth and intentional growth mm. that um, I've pursued. And um, it's been a roller coaster, but wow, I wouldn't change it for the world. You yeah. know, I, I describe it like an emotional marathon. So, you know, you get people who do the actual marathon and, you know, the training is hard and there are times you want to give up, but, you know, you, you know that it's worth doing. And, and just like that kind of personal and professional, um, just shedding of layers and discovery and, and, um, learning more about who you are and, and what it's important to you and how you want to be. Um, and it, it hurts sometimes because you find things that you go, Oh no, you know, I was doing that all along. I was getting in my own way or I was getting someone else's, whatever it is, but you know what? That's, it's worth doing it's it's yeah. worth the tears just like the, the physical marathon you know yeah it's Sometimes.
0: interesting as well because we talk about you know moving country is a trigger point for some of this mm. sort of self-reflection having a child would be another trigger point Dude. but the real question is how can we cultivate the the ecosystem or the culture mm. where we are asking these questions and continually thinking about these things particularly for somebody listening right now for example yeah who isn't about to move country, who isn't about to have a child or whatever, you know, no life events, but we can actually cultivate that
1: Mm. ability
0: to think about ourselves and to be in a way, I guess, critical of ourselves in the sense of, I want to change this. I want to get better in this. Um, It's just, I'm throwing it out there. It's more an observation of Mm. how do we develop that, that for each of us, so that we are on that path of looking for ways to, to, to get better.
1: I, th- I actually, you're, you're absolutely right. It shouldn't just be about trigger points. We should, um, we, sh- it, it, I think it's about how can we be more conscious and in, and intentional in our ways of being instead of, you know, just living unconsciously, just kind of floating away through life. And that's how I was, you know, and, there's nothing, I'm, I'm not criticizing anyone who's living in that space, you know, because I, you know, we've all been there and I'm not saying I'm any better than anyone, but I know that I've, I've found deeper levels of, of joy. I've also found, as I said before, the painful bits, but that's, that's living, that's truly living. And, mm. and I think it's about, if we can reflect on, if we can have people living their lives thinking about what it is they want to leave behind them. So what's the footprint or the legacy you want to leave by your being Mm. then maybe, and, and, and and be more brave or courageous to have those conversations instead of the, Oh, hi, how are you? I'm fine. You know, you know, I I want to have those deeper conversations with people. (laughs) Some people are a bit afraid of me, (laughs) you know, but yeah, what, what really matters, you know, from this life, like, What's the legacy? What's the footprint you want to leave behind? And are you being that way? Because I think that's what the leaving, um, moving country or the having, the having, having child, you know, Cara really inspired me was what do I want for her? And then I thought, am I modeling that? And I went, no. And I was like, oh, and that was the (laughs) first bit. And I went, well, you know, do as I say, not as I do isn't going to cut it because you know, my mother is amazing woman, six kids, you know, of course she's amazing, but I watched her run around after everyone. And, and so model that kind of, um, self-sacrifice in a way. Um, so therefore no wonder I was going to go down the same road, no matter what she told me, because that's what I saw. So it's what you see is what you're going to do, not what you hear, Mm. you know
0: and in a way it echoes back to our start of the conversation with your grandfather who would mm. take the deliveries out to the elderly people or people who couldn't do it you know reflecting back that had a big impact even though at the time yeah. he probably didn't sit you down and say right well this is why I do what I do
1: yeah
0: yeah no this yeah. is good and it's um it's just important to I guess reflect on these things isn't it yeah and to and to ask the hard questions um, in terms of legacy and mm. what will we leave behind? We have a finite amount of time here. That's the one certainty. Um, yeah. How will we use our lives and our time?
1: Yeah. What's mm. the impact you want to have um, on the world, on the people around you, mm. on yourself? Mm. You know, and for me, that all comes down to leadership, you know, so it's personal leadership is how you lead yourself so that, that your choices and your your intentionality around the things that you do and then how you lead others. And I don't just mean in workplaces, you know, we are leaders in our homes with our partners and our kids. We're leaders in our communities with our friends. Sometimes we rotate the roles, but there's a leadership there. There's a, um, and then, and then there is our workplaces, but you don't have to have the title to be a leader, you know? And, and that, that is my fundamental kind of belief that, you know, around leadership, that it's not just about titles. Mm. Mm. And about yeah, titles. I often come back
0: to this, that there's one person that you're in charge of, and that's yourself. And if you lead yourself well, then other things will, fo- will follow. And sometimes yeah. if you do things for the motivation of getting a title or doing it to be recognized, mm. it kind of undercuts the, you know, yeah. the, the authenticity of it.
1: And I think people confuse management and leadership as well, you know, so, you know, someone might be listening to this and going, Oh yeah, but that, you know, leadership isn't, you know, yeah, that's about getting stuff done. No management is about ticking the boxes, you know, management is about the, the reaching goals. And so you manage things and, um, but you lead people Mm. and, you know, I think there's a big distinction there. Um, yeah. so, so, And and workplace leaders or leaders in the community. Yeah. So I think there's a really important distinction to make.
0: Mm. I'd like to drill down a little bit in that, in the sense of, I know you and I have both read a lot of Brené Brown's work Mm. I know she talks a lot about the idea of values and being clear about your values. And I remember I wrote a little thing about it and I sent it to you for some comment and you came back and said, actually I had my values and then I think you changed one of them or you tweaked it can you just describe what that was like or what that's meant for you in terms of a lens on how you're doing things
1: yeah um that was it was it's been a really interesting experience you know reading a lot of Brené's work in the last couple of years um and she's had a profound impact on that personal and professional journey I spoke about Um, and um so around the values I mean what I was really difficult initially was that she's like, you have to narrow it down to two. I was like, what? How am I going to do that? And, and the point being that if you have 10 priorities, you have none. And also being that it's not that anything outside of those two aren't important to you. It's that those two are the God values that if you can look at those through the, through the lens, if you can use them as a lens to look at everything else in your life, and that you know, and that's how, that's more your way of being um, in all of those other areas. And then that can be really, you know, profound and gives you that kind of almost like that compass, that moral, that internal compass um, mm-hmm. to choose. So, yeah. So initially, you know, I had gone through all of the, the values and was looking at all these things and I, I looked at, you know, I spent a lot of time over a couple of months, you know, reflecting on different experiences in my life. Um, when I felt good in my career, in my work, in my life, what was I doing when I was feeling good? So therefore, and what were the values? What were the themes that were coming up? And I guess I, uh, you know, so the original two that I had chosen were authenticity and curiosity. And the authenticity one, you know, came up because, particularly, that was probably about two, three years ago, I had really started that journey of who am I? And and so that was really strong there. So I was like, yeah, I'm being authentic to myself now. So that's really important. And, And the second one I chose was curiosity. And I that one was a no brainer because learning is like just embedded in me and I love asking questions and you know so curiosity kind of encompassed um learning as well as getting to know people and new things and new places so curiosity was was easy but there was something about authenticity that didn't sit right and it wasn't because I'm not authentic but I wondered you know I couldn't figure it out and then and um, started to do a bit more digging, I think, in maybe towards the end of last year, actually. And I was like, oh, I think that was more because I was at that stage at that time. And I was going through this whole process of, you know, finding what authentically was Fiona. And But as I started to look at the, the impact that I wanted to have and the work that I loved doing, I actually ended up um, going back and choosing worthiness as another value as a, as replacing it with authenticity Mm. and with worthiness being that if I'm making all of my decisions or having all of my interactions from a place of worthiness and curiosity, it means that first of all, I'm that's believing that I'm worthy in those situations. So I'm worthy of the love, belonging and connection or of just being where I am right now. And Interacting with you, believing that you're worthy. And so, and and that just totally, there was something in me that physically I actually even felt. Um, And then, and the curiosity was still a no brainer. That one was going nowhere. So I made that kind of active choice that actually it wasn't that authenticity was wrong. It was right in that moment, but it had shifted for me. So I guess what I would say is it's become really powerful for me because Those two words I can kind of, when I feel like the ship is a bit shaky and I'm looking thinking about decisions that I'm making, um, how I'm leading, how I'm taking care of myself, how I'm taking care of the people around me, um, am I aligning with those values? Am I acting from a place that I'm worthy? Am I acting from a place where I believe that the people I'm interacting with are worthy? And am I showing curiosity even when I least want to? So that's when in those difficult conversations. And some, you know, so it has proved to be very, um, I guess, strengthening for me. So Brene uses a a, a beautiful um, phrase that I love, um, strong back, soft front, wild heart. And strong back being what gives me strength and, you know, um, at my core. And I recognize that that strength is actually in my values and the practices that I do that keep me well or the people that, that I, that whose opinions matter to me Mm. soft front is being open, open hearted and open-minded being curious. And, and then the wild heart is because it's hard to straddle the two sides of that. Mm. So, yeah, so that's kind of how the the values side of things has worked for me, but yeah, just acting as I guess a a navigational tool and I'm not perfect, but we don't have to be perfect to talk about it. Mm. And I think that's where people struggle as well. Sometimes they think, oh, I have to have this right. I have to be the expert. It's like, no, you don't.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I hope the podcast can be, is it's a it's a way to listen in on other people's thoughts mm. and conversations. And maybe somebody out there is listening going, oh, that's interesting tool. Because I know I found it really interesting because in the book, Dare to Lead, there's like, 50 maybe 60 mm. different potential yeah. values and so you know actually focusing in it, it does uh it's a useful tool isn't it to it is to
1: and it doesn't mean you don't change you know you know don't be if it's not you know it's not like this lifetime commitment you know life changes we change we grow and i think what I think what, we, what I struggle with most in this world is that people look for black and white. They want to be at one end of the spectrum or the other. Mm-hmm. And that's not life. We are all operating in the gray most of the time. And that's hard and it's messy.
0: Mm.
1: But that's worth being in there too because we have, to be, we have to be in there. We have to be in the gray. So stop looking for certainty, yeah. um, I think I would say.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good. So we're just kind of, as we're recording this, we're coming out of the COVID lockdown and things mm-hmm. that have happened. It's been honestly for all of us, I think highs and lows. Um, one of the highs actually, I should say, and thank you very much as you helped out with the impact Unconference. Um, as what, what was your official title wellness coordinator. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. I was a wellness, the wellness contact, you know, yeah. just in case anyone needed any support, but Oh my goodness, you guys did an incredible job. I mean, um, to pivot the way that you did and to to bring in the, the people who maybe hadn't been involved originally when we were going to do it all in the face-to-face.
0: That's right. And then
1: there was such an opportunity, though, to bring in an amazing bunch of people who were able to help bring it to life and bring it online. And, and it was such a success. So it was amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was so fun. Cool. I, mm-hmm. I was glad. Yeah, you were involved in planning the original in-person mm-hmm. one, and then it kind of all switched, but you were still able to help with the... Yeah the unconference but what I'm curious about is it's been up and down for all of us Mm. you know I'm sure everyone can agree there's been hard times there's been fun times you know Mm. spending time with children that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise Mm. but are there any um, disciplines or things that you've kind of learned through the time that you think actually that that's a lesson or Mm. or, you know how are you keeping yourself refreshed and and fresh and that type Mm. of thing yeah
1: it's interesting isn't it you know as here in New Zealand, anyway, things are going back to normal, in mm-hmm. inverted commas. Um, you know, I see this rush, you know, of things back into people's lives and the calendar is filling up again. And, and I'm, I've noticed it with my own and I've gone, no, no, I need to, I need to pull that back. Because one thing, I really resisted that first week or two of lockdown. I mean, I was like, oh, no, I don't want to slow down. And there was a bit of panic in me with someone as someone who's self-employed um some of my work you know was suddenly you know put on the back burner there was there was that panic in me around oh I need to pivot I need to do this I need to do that and about two weeks in I kind of paused I realized that I was completely over functioning um and and it was really interesting because normally you know your your other half they see, they see you at the end of the day and you've maybe just burnt out or something at the end of a big week and they see, they see when you hit the wall a bit. But when we were all at home, James actually got to see a lot of that unfold over the two weeks. So it was really interesting then to have his insight and go, okay, I'm seeing some of these behaviors and I'm, and I'm like, yeah, I'm seeing some of these behaviors. Okay, what is going on here? This is, you know, so noticing anyway how I cope with stress was interesting, but I was over, over functioning. But I started to slow down then and we put some really good practices in place around you know, childcare and splitting the time. And it really helped me actually become much more efficient with my time because i had half the amount of time to work on whatever I wanted to work on. You have this half of the day, I have that half of the day. So it meant that if you wanted more time, you needed to be really sure about why you needed it um, and to be able to justify it in a way. You know? So we kept each other honest that way and went, you need more times because you know you weren't doing what you're supposed to or do you really need to do that so that was quite good because as someone who works on their own normally you don't always get that accountability <laughs> mm-hmm. um but for me I think what I really recognized and found is that I there are two different paces there's an internal pace that I have and there's an external pace of doing so there's a, a pace of being and a pace of doing and my pace of being can be a lot calmer and slower and I can still be just as efficient with my doing. Mm -hmm. So, so what I've been working through, I guess, and, and kind of trying to kind of embed and maintain is that two different paces as, as life is reopening up. So, um, you know, prioritizing, okay, well, what helps me maintain that pace? Well, you know, practicing yoga and making sure I get to a couple of yoga practices a week, um, meditating every day, even if it's only for five minutes, um, really looking at what is the work that you're doing and why are you doing that? You know? Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple of things there that I've I'm I'm kind of trying to do from the, the work perspective to help me because that's probably if anything is what will increase that internal speed is is work and that need to kind of hustle, hustle, hustle,
0: you know? Yeah. No, that's good. And and the, the emphasis on being rather than doing, I think mm. it's something that we can always have as a reminder because it's so easy to get caught up in the next task. I've got to reply to yeah. this email, somebody called, I've got to do this other thing. Mm. And just Having a breath and yeah. being in the moment, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, what is again back to the John O'Donoghue? You know, he talks about, and, and I've read it just in the power, I'm reading the power of now, um, by Eckhart Tull, I think, at the moment, mm. and just talking about that now moment that just what's in that now moment, What what is the beauty. In that now moment. And right now, look at the view, be- you know, look at this amazing conversation that we're having, and yeah. the richness of the story, the, um, you know, our own different experiences. You know, when I'm sitting there with Kara, you know, and she's, you know, she's saying something to me, and I'm like, the beauty in that moment where my child is, you know, conversing with me, and, and I'm the only thing in the world, you know. Yeah, and even the, the the really simple things. What's what is in this moment for me right now?
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think the problem with our society is we're always looking to the future and a future point when mm. everything will be better than it is today. Yeah. And the reality is, when we if even if we got to that mythical point where we were handed a million dollars and a gold-plated mm. necklace or whatever, you know, like yeah, e- even if you got there it would still be, there's another moment coming, you know, it's, it's never. So the point is each day, what are you getting from mm. it and, and and how are you appreciating it? And it's, it's a discipline, isn't it? I, I, I have trouble sometimes too, just thinking, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to the weekend because it's only yeah. Tuesday or whatever. Yeah. But actually um, this is, this is Tuesday. This is, I'm alive. I'm breathing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and the thing is like, again, like I said before, no, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We don't have to be perfect and doing this right all the time to talk about it. Mm. You know, we're aware of it and um, being aware of it and noticing it and talking about it and, yeah. and practicing it in small moments. It's like building a muscle. If we keep practicing and we, we will build those presencing muscles. It doesn't mean we'll never jump off. Of course, yeah. we're, we're human, we're fallible, you know, except that we're not going to get it right all the time. But it's what we do in most of the time or what we're, are, we're intentionally trying to do yeah. is what matters.
0: So tell us a little bit about CAR Consulting and what, um, what your aim is there, what you're, what, how you're getting involved in the community or, or meeting with people. Yeah, what's going on?
1: So, at the moment, um, I'm involved in a couple of different projects. I guess the main kind of core part of my business is one on one coaching. I absolutely love working with people. And, l- like I said before, approaching my coaching even from a place of worthiness and curiosity, because believing that, you know, whoever it is that I'm coaching, and that's kind of primarily people who are kind of leaders and influencers or, um, uh, people who are wanting to find more purpose and meaning in their own work um, have a positive impact on the people they're leading, or have um, a positive imp- have their businesses or their organisations have more of a positive impact on the world around them. So, um, it is really about that kind of transform transformative um, stuff. But yeah, coming from it from a place of believing that every client or every person that I work with they have within them what they need. And my job as a coach is to engage my curiosity and create that space for them to step into that. Um, So just loving that kind of coaching side of things. And when you see that light go off in someone, you know, that way, and you've probably experienced it, you know, yourself as well, you introduce a little bit of information to them and maybe ask them a question by giving them that different perspective. And then they're like, their growth goes from that kind of horizontal to like vertical and, and that's what I love about the coaching stuff is that breakthroughs don't just happen because in people's businesses or in their lives, because of one big decision, it's generally a series of small ones. So that's what I love about being a coach and working with someone to support them through those smaller decisions. Outside of that then as well, um, I'm, I love kind of the more... So the coaching stuff is amazing. I do that in person or online, which has been a really cool discovery since, of course, um, um, since the lockdown. And it's kind of opened my eyes that actually, as someone who's originally from Ireland, there's an opportunity to work more with people, even back in my home country, um, which is amazing. So that's, that's quite cool opening things up. But the community-based stuff here in Christchurch that I, I love um, being involved with, I'm involved in a community leadership program called The Link Project, and that's with the, um, a group of consultants called Leadership Lab, and they work on a range of projects around leadership and social change in education, in communities, and that's So an amazing bunch of people who want to do things collaboratively and find the solutions with the people they're working with, not go in with the solution. It's about coming together with the people you're trying to help and, and co-designing those solutions. So, that's an amazing pro- program to be involved with the, the community Leadership project, um, and I'm also doing a piece of work at the moment for the Irish Embassy here in New Zealand, so um, helping them with some engagement with the Irish community and setting up a service to support the well-being of our Irish community here post COVID. So yeah, having some really interesting conversations about how we can encourage people and reach the people we know we're not reaching, you know, because there's a lot of people who have Irish citizenship here who aren't connected to the Irish organizations. So how do we make sure we're reaching all of them and making sure they know there's help there if they need it? How do we empower some people in our community with the skills to reach out? And then, you know, how do we provide education about well-being in general and about positive practices to grow our well-being as well as just being that ambulance at the end of the cliff? Um, And I guess from a volunteer perspective, I I volunteer for Lifeline Aotearoa, which is a crisis support helpline. Um, And we provide brief intervention support to people um, who just need sometimes who need some emotional support and sometimes who are at risk of suicide. And, you know, we need to have those courageous conversations. But, you know what, in all of those areas, Stephen, if I was to say what I love is that it's all such an honor because I get to hear people's unique stories and experiences and and hold that space for them to kind of grow and develop. I think that's the kind of common thread. Yeah. So, yeah, that's me.
0: No, oh, that's really good. And you've been doing um, like a series of videos, haven't you? Wednesday when I think.
1: Yes. yeah. What's
0: the origin for that? Are you enjoying that? You keeping I
1: am. It? I am enjoying it, actually. And it was... So, actually, it was um, a friend of mine, Scott Walkland. So, they have a, a company called Sign Network. And during lockdown... They, create, they do a lot of um, video content and signing, signage and that for businesses and marketing. And he did this free challenge um, on Facebook um, with a group of us. And it was a 30-day challenge around getting comfortable using video as a medium. Okay. And it was, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. It was a steep learning curve. You know, at the beginning, you couldn't get... I couldn't. I was like, where's the camera? Um, how do I look at it, the camera? How do I make a video? How do I edit it? Um, and it was it really pushed me outside my comfort zone, um, but I learned a lot. And and what I really like about the Wednesday win thing is I get to share, I get to stop and think, right, what's going well for me and celebrate that. But then I'm hoping as well that that inspires others to do the same. You know, so even if someone watched, doesn't even watch it, but they see what's your Wednesday win, at least it gets them to think about what are they grateful for. Mm. Um, and, and if... You know, it's great if you can do that a lot more regularly than once a week, but if you can just do it once a week, great. You know, stop, pause, and recognize your successes, Mm. you know, and what's going well, you know, because we are actually hardwired biologically to seek out the negative um, and remember that a lot more than the positive. So, you know, we need to be more intentional about seeking, um, seeking out and noticing the wins that we have.
0: Mm. Well, that's the thing that struck me about this whole conversation is that you seem to have changed approach from the early part of your life that you described to mm-hmm. now being very intentional mm-hmm. and trying to reflect. And, yeah. you know, the attitude of gratitude, right? Like It, yeah. those, it is important. And, and sometimes we do get in a trap or, uh, you know, we forget how yeah. lucky we are. And, yeah. and so I think anything that reminds us is good. Yeah. And I've loved hearing a bit about your, yeah. um, I guess, the shift in a life. Because, yeah. you know, when you talk about the Fiona shaped hole yeah. in Ireland, versus who you are today, and that yeah. actually, there's probably wouldn't quite match. And I think that's quite encouraging for me as well, that that we can each of us can change, we can grow, we can learn. And and that's kind of what I've taken away from our our talk. So
1: I I truly believe that. And I mean, I will say as well, yes, you know, I do have that attitude of gratitude and positivity, but I'm always really careful to say to people, I'm not the happy bunny all the time either. And again, Mm -hmm. let's be realistic here. We all have days we're not feeling so good and so flat. What matters though is how long we stay that way, and you know, there's nothing, there's no wrong way to feel. You feel how you feel. Sometimes that's about questioning the thinking behind the feeling. So, what is it that, what am I thinking that's making me feel this way? And just challenging that a little bit. Sometimes it's okay to be sad, you know, and you know, have the have the bit of you know, treat whatever it is. But it's about how long we stay in that. I think. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I love that story that Brené um, Brown shares, you know, about she's standing in front of all of these U.S. military personnel. And she says to them, vulnerability, it's risk, emotional exposure and uncertainty. And they go, yeah. And she said, OK, show me one example of courage where there's been no vulnerability. And not one person was able to give her an answer. And eventually one guy stood and said, no, three tours, ma'am, not one. You know, so courage you know, there's, yeah, you, you, and I won't know that, but but courage then is often associated with those heroic deeds and, um, and bravery and um, courage is not being fearless. Courage is feeling that fear and you just go, I still need to do it. I'm going to do it anyway, you know? So, and, and that, that takes vulnerability, you know? It, yeah. So we need to, we need to reclaim a lot of the language that we use about, about those feelings and that. And even when we're talking about leadership, and, and workplaces we talk about culture culture actually i've realized is quite a dehumanizing word we don't it, it doesn't actually how about we replace it with how we treat people around here mm. you know and i mean oh we have a bad culture well what does that mean so you treat people badly yeah so that's a very you know that's what you're saying but it's easy to say blame culture well actually no. that's how people treat each other so you know that's uh, owning it i think there's a real big difference there
0: yeah no I agree well it's been great to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate your time and and yeah your energy to bring in your your story and share yeah. about your journey. Um, yeah. I think it 's really important to hear from people about how they 've grown and how yeah. things have changed and I just loved hearing a bit more about your childhood, your yeah. origins you know um yeah. what it was like growing up. And then I'm um, coming to New Zealand and what's that? Mm. And, and I'm, I'm, I feel quite fortunate because we're actually in the same city. We're doing this, yeah. Zoom, but, but we'll, we will probably see each other in the next couple of weeks at we some, some event or something. I know. And, well, yeah. <laughs> and, and That's quite cool. And I think mm. there's actually quite a nice culture here in Christchurch of people. Mm. And, you know, many of the people that I know mm. as well. And mm. there seems to be a, like a convergence of people who are pushing in the same direction. So yeah. it's, It's a pleasure to have you as one of them, as one of Mm. the people who've come in to be part of creating that culture here. Yeah, it's a pretty Mm.
1: special city. I think there's great things have come from here in the last 10 years. And I think there's even greater to come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. And what we'll do is put some links in the show notes if people are interested in finding out more. Um, But I just want to say thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me as well. It's great to see you. Take care.
0: Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Fiona. I know for me, there were many things that stood out. In particular, I loved hearing about her origins in Ireland and what it was that led her to move to New Zealand. And I can definitely endorse the fact that she's an active participant in society here today. And I just love watching and tracking with her to see what she's doing. If you enjoyed this and check out some of the more than 200 other episodes in the back catalog. And there's a lot more information at theseeds.nz. Until next time.